Mac Power Users, Episode 242, Mac Maintenance and Repair with Joe Cayati. back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside with my pal, David Sparks. Hey, David. Hey, Katie Floyd. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm uh, I'm enjoying my new life. <laughs> it's it's uh, pretty exciting. As I talked in the last show, I've gone solo with the law practice, got a little more time for Max Sparky and uh, dealing with the clients I love, having a great time. In fact, thank you, everyone. I've, I've been getting so many f- really nice tweets and the post I put up in Max Sparky got so much great response. It's uh, It's really made me feel like I can take on the world and I appreciate it. Thank you, everybody. Yeah, and I'm already reaping the benefits because I, I put a tweet out before the show saying, you know, it's uh, it's still daylight here. I just got off of work and I'm actually getting to record the podcast and not in my pajamas for once in a while because we're recording at a reasonable hour. And then somebody pointed out this might be during your work day. So I, I got to ask, David, are, are you billing me for this? My company has a very flexible policy about that stuff. So okay. I'll, I'll do my other stuff after we finish the show. But All right. uh, it does feel pretty good not having to race home from work. Because what we used to do quite often is we'd record 6 p.m. Pacific on a weeknight. And so I would literally dive out of the office at 5, <clears> race home, like, you know, eat um, a piece of toast or something, and then jump on the mic and get started. And it feels so frantic. And I had time to prepare for today. I mean, I always prepared before, but I'd have to do it, then jump in at the last minute. And it's kind of nice being able to do all this at once. So it's all good. Yeah. Well, um, we we have a great guest this week, too. We do. Um, Joe, you came to us uh, because I actually saw your post um, on Stephen Hackett's website over at 512pixels.net. And then I investigated you a little bit uh, further just, you know, to make sure that, that you were on the up and up and all uh, <laughs> and, and realized, my gosh, how have we not crossed paths before? So, Joe, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, that's that's very kind of you, Katie. And congratulations, David. I really loved your your post. Um as far as uh, my background goes, um, at least on the internet, I've been blogging at my site, uh, dot .info, since 2011. And as far as computers go, uh, I've been a Mac user since around 2007. And uh, as of recent, I just left Apple. I was a Mac genius, um, and I'm now in an uh, IT audiovisual position. Wow. And and I'm sorry, the post that I was referring to on on Stephen's blog, I didn't make that clear, is you wrote a great uh, post, a guest post over there. And I think the title of it was Be Your Own Genius. Correct. And it, and it kind of walked through, and I guess based on your experience being an Apple genius, of, you know, kind of the common things that you saw in, in the genius bar, the common problems with you, your post focused primarily on Mac. I think what, we may talk a little bit about iOS devices here in the show, but, you know, some of the common problems that occur, you know, maybe things that you can do to avoid the genius bar, you know, some troubleshooting steps that you can take yourself. And uh, the post got a lot of traction. It was, it was very well written. I think it was very successful. So congratulations on that. Um, Thank you. And and I emailed David because David and I had been talking about um, doing a, a show like this, talking about troubleshooting and maintaining your Mac and, and trying to figure out how we were going to do that because that's stuff that we do, you know, for ourselves and our family members, but are no my, by no means geniuses on this topic. Um, <laughs> and I sent David the post and he just wrote back, yes, exclamation point. Um, so we're very glad that you could join us. Yeah, yeah thank I had- you. I had marked your post because I wanted to read it um, at my leisure, you know. 
Yeah, so it was I, a pretty lengthy post. But it's it's great, and it's it's just really good stuff. And Joe also has a podcast called Diagnostics and Usage. We'll put a link for that in the show notes as well, so you can I check that out. I appreciate that. Yeah. Kind of new. You're only at the episode four, but you've got some some great content there already. I listened to one of them this morning. Thank you. Um, yeah, with 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 working at Apple, you're kind of limited as to what you can do um, naturally. So once I started this new job, I was able to you know write a lot more about Apple and uh, start the podcast. Well, so, good. So, how long were you were you with Apple, if you could so say? I, no, yeah, I can I can definitely say I started with Apple in April 2012, and just uh, recently left uh, around December 2014. But a lot has happened in that time span. Uh, one thing that Apple is. Um, very generous about his training. So I received a lot of training on the iOS and Mac side, and uh, I've learned a ton um, since becoming a Mac user there. And so how did how did you get started in the Mac? Were you were you always a Mac user? Did you just decide, hey, I want to work for Apple, and so maybe I better figure out this Mac thing? What what sets you down that path? So, yeah, it it came a point probably when I got my first iPod. I think that was like uh, 2005 where I really started getting into Apple. But my roots started in Windows, and that was mostly because my household and schooling, you know, they all used Windows machines. Um, But once I graduated high school and started college, I got a lot more exposure to Macs. Um, And at that point, uh, I started seeing, you know, the benefits of using a Mac because there was this common myth. You know, growing up that, you know, that that went around saying, you know, Macs are just for the creative types or the uh, the, you know, the pro photo editing types. And it, it never appeared to me as a general purpose computer until I actually started using them. Um, so one, once I started using them, I, I knew I had to have one. So I sold off my <laughs> Dell laptop rather quickly to uh, put it towards a Mac. Let me guess. You had like an XPS or one of those things that had flashy lights on it, right? Absolutely. Adele, I think it was an XPS, like Inspiron 1500. It was a very chunky, large, you know, 15-inch Windows PC, and uh, I'm I'm glad to be rid of it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, There's a lot of people that listen to our show that have that path and at one point or another decide they're going to come over and try and use a Mac. It's a... I just think it's a very, the thing I've always said about the Mac platform is that it just works. And I know that's a really bad thing to say lately because everybody's <laughs> like saying that's not true anymore, blah, blah, blah. But like to get work done, not just creative work, but to write or to answer email. I mean, you know, you did it. I like one of the things I noticed in your article. I don't think you ever mentioned defragmenting the drive and, you know, all the little exactly. things that you get good at on a PC just to get by all that stuff just never existed on the Mac. I, I think that's really great. Yeah. And as far as uh, as far as just kind of me being in love with Apple products in general, I always wanted to work for Apple. I, you know, I would apply to the my local mall store, you know, every six months because that's what they would say. You know, we'll, we'll keep you on file for six months. And, you know, if you don't hear back, you can always reapply. So I did that for some time and, you know, no contact. So I actually uh, worked for the Geek Squad at Best Buy, kind of the opposite of Apple Genius. So I've, I've kind of seen both worlds with Windows and Mac. And uh, I worked for them for a little bit. And then I finally had the opportunity to get into an interview through a friend who uh, referred me. Um, and it was at that point that 
uh, I, I was fortunate enough to kind of get through the rigorous interview process and, you know, become an employee. And, and, and do, you, you, do you start? Ahead. I mean, how do you start? Do you start like on the sales floor or do they do they highlight you as someone when you probably got some potential because of your Geek Squad background or because of something else that maybe we, we want to immediately move you onto the path to, to, to be on the Genius Bar? How does that work? Yeah, I was hoping that I would go straight to Genius, but it, it was pretty clear um, after the first interview that it's rare that someone gets hired as a genius from the get-go. Um, and they all it's also rare for people to get hired full-time at Apple. S- most people get hired as part-time specialists. So you're just, you know, selling on the sales floor and uh, and, and you kind of work your way up. But you know, like you said, my background helped me a little bit. So in the genius bar, uh, some people may not know this, is they're not just geniuses anymore. So the genius Geniuses take care of mostly the Mac stuff, um, but there's na- there's another uh, position that takes care of mostly of the mobile stuff, and that is called a family room specialist, hmm. um, which is an interesting name. Uh, you know, I I still don't I still don't real you know kind of uh, know why they would call a family room specialist, but uh, nevertheless, I was uh, able to be hired on as a full time family room specialist. So I really started on the kind of on the mobile end. Um, but I accelerated quickly enough to then become a, a Mac genius. So the guy who's uh, swapping out my iPhone is not necessarily an Apple genius. No, not necessarily. You know, it, the geniuses will help. Um, you know, right now, uh, you know, Apple stores are more and more mobile heavy and less Mac focused when it comes to like appointments at the Genius Bar. So yeah, you'll you'll sometimes get a genius, but you may not necessarily be helped by one. Okay. And and so, um, did you? Ha- are you focused only on iOS issues at that point, or I guess Family Room would also imply Apple TV and you know maybe an airport or things like that, and so just things that are not computers. Well, you you kind of just get mobile certified. So yeah, it's iPhones, iPads, iPods, um, okay. and and the geniuses kind of take care of the rest. So uh, that that's that was my main focus for probably within the first I, th- I think it was like seven months, um, and it was at that point you know I was expressing interest uh, in, in the genius position from the start from the first interview. So I think uh, management knew knew my goals and and where I wanted to be, um, but you got to put in your time and. Uh, I, you know, I was fortunate fortunate enough to get to the genius position faster than than some people would. Yeah, and frankly, they've got to figure out that you're the kind of employee that shows up on time and you know does all the things that people need an employee to do before they invest time in you, you know, training you further. Absolutely, um, I the genius the investment that they put into an um, uh, to training an employee to become a genius is a very large investment. Uh, but, time and money. Yeah. One and the, and one Summers, of the best things, go ahead, David. I'm sorry. I mean, one of the best things I learned when I was a kid or just in college, I got this job at Disneyland and Disneyland's a great place. They have good training and all these things. I was a teamster, believe it or not, but they, they have very strict rules, you know, no matter how good of an employee you are, if you're like, if you call in sick, like three times in a certain period of time, you're fired. Yeah. It's just that easy. And that's kind of a good experience, I thought, because it really kind of gave me good ethic as I was going forward. And from what I've heard, Apple Store is kind of the same way. I mean, if you don't, if you're not like uh, on time and 
and there when you say you're going to be there, it doesn't matter who you are, you're probably out the door. Yeah, I've worked in a in a couple of retail stores, uh, at different companies, and time and attendance is a huge thing for for a lot of these companies. They want an employee who's going to be dedicated and, and not going to just have no call, no shows out of nowhere, and uh, that's a big factor in in promotions. So at one point though, someone pulls you aside and they say, "Joe, we're bringing you up in the, into the show." Right? Uh the big time. Kind of, you know, you go through another set of interviews internally um and uh there there's open, you know, you kind of just wait for the email saying that there's openings and uh you express your interest, your manager kind of signs off on it, you 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 interview and uh and then at that point, yes, you get you get pulled aside and uh told that you are going to become a genius. So Joe, how many has ever told me that? <laughs> I just want that once. Okay, it's okay. <laughs> it's a gift and a curse that title. Yeah. Um, so, so what happens next? Do you, uh, do you do you get to go to Cupertino and get trained, or do they do it locally? I know at one point all the geniuses did go to Cupertino. Yes, and you you still go somewhere, but it may not necessarily be Cupertino. So now with so many more. Apple retail stores out there um, to send everybody to Cupertino uh, can get a bit expensive, especially if you're across the United States. So there are other places that you could be sent to uh, to go to training uh, to yeah. other places. So like in the back in the day, though, they didn't they have like just a wing of Steve Jobs office where everybody <laughs> would just go in there and just they Steve and, and, would get and out of screwdrivers and lectured. show you how yes, to do it. That's right? exactly how it worked. Uh, that that would have been great. <laughs> yeah. I, I think Stephen Hackett was telling us because I think he he went through a little bit earlier, perhaps than you did, um, that he did go to Cupertino. Yeah, yeah. He I think his genius career was uh, earlier before there was uh, that family room specialist position because right. yeah, there was a time when it was just you're a genius, you work at the Genius Bar. Um, yeah, and you, and you get sent just to to Cupertino, but uh, there are other places now. Well, Joe, since you've had kind of this unique experience of of seeing a little bit of everything, both in the family room tech experience as well as, you know, maybe the full on genius who has you know their hands in everything. What are some of the most common, you know, Mac and, and iOS problems that you see coming into the Apple store? I, I know you see it all, but, you know, if you had to pick kind of the the, the most common ones that come in the door. Yeah, you you do see a lot, um, definitely, as a genius. You know, people always ask you this particular question. Is this a common issue? And it, we, we I kind of have the same canned answer. Like, you know, all I see are issues. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I have seen this issue in the past. It may not necessarily be common. But as far as, you know... What the what common things I see, you know, sometimes it's just as simple as asking someone, uh, when was the last time you shut down your device? Because you'll be surprised at what answers you get um, when you ask that question. You know, there are people sometimes who get a MacBook Air and say, let's say 2013, and you know, the only time their MacBook Air really shuts off is if they let the battery drain on them. You know, they're just putting it to sleep, and and that could cause some sluggishness and 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 RAM issues. Um, uh, and that's with both iOS and Mac. And, you know, iOS devices naturally are, are designed to stay on longer. Um, but it, it's always good to kind of slide to power off for even if it's for a minute or two, just to kind of give uh, give your device a, a, a refresh. Um, uh, as far as Macs go, you know, on, on that point, I had we had a 
I don't know if he's been on our show and I'm not even sure who it was, Katie, but there's some geek friend of ours who I know used to run a, um, a utility to keep his runtime on his desktop, you know, where he could, um, see how long the Mac had been running mm-hmm. and, and he prided himself on, is that a word prided? Yes. I think, well, okay. I know what you mean. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I, I know that I know, but I don't remember who this is. I know what you're talking about. I want to say it's Dave Hamilton, but mm-hmm. maybe it's not. That no. that actually would, I, I don't, that's an interesting point because m- when I was in Genius Training, my Genius Trainer prided himself on how long the Mac Mini was on for, um, yeah. and uh, you know, I guess that I guess that's just a way of saying that you know that there's not much maintenance that you need. The OS does a lot of cleanup, but in practical use i believe in kind of giving it a reboot man restart that thing once a week whether you need to or not yeah exactly it's the same like same frequency i shower (laughs) oh okay good um in the last six months though as a genius one common thing that we saw a lot was um adware issues on max yes Um, i was wondering about that because i my father accidentally downloaded something that that he didn't mean to when he was looking for an excel spreadsheet he thought he was downloading an excel spreadsheet template and got something else yeah and i i think it was Peter Cohen, who wrote a, a good piece on it, possibly, I think it was uh, pertaining to Mac Keeper. But uh, as far as like the adware, we would see is you know somehow it gets downloaded, and, and sometimes it's it's in it you innocently download it on accident. It's just you know you navigate to a site and a pop up comes up in the background and downloads a DMG to your to your desktop. Sometimes it's intentional. So for example, when the World Cup was going on, a lot of people were trying to watch it uh, by other means than legal means and you know there's like download video x player and you, you you know you start installing the software and then all of a sudden your google searches are redirecting you to some kind of russian site um but w- we would see you know adware that would install browser and inst- browser uh, extensions so whether that was in firefox ios and chrome and it, it would do some you know some funky stuff like it open kind of like these ghost browser windows like even if your browser was not didn't have an active window it would play like flash content in the background kind of make your mac sluggish um inject ads on sites that normally don't have ads like apple.com um and and that was I think that's something that's still going on. Uh, I thought it was interesting that Apple actually acknowledged it uh, um, with a K-Base article. They actually acknowledged that, you know, this adware thing is a problem and they kind of give you a guide on how to remove it. Well, it's an interesting vector because, you know, the Mac is pretty, it's pretty safe against a lot of viruses because viruses are generally engineered towards um, the Windows operating systems and in particular the older ones. I know I'm going to get a bunch of email every time I talk about something like this remotely, but um, you know, there's companies out there in the world that spend a lot of time and resources going after low hanging fruit, and and the Mac operating system is not low hanging fruit. I would I would say. Yeah, and I think there's a a big distinction between like some something like a like a virus that's there to completely lock you out of your computer. So when I worked at the Geek Squad, I mean that was pretty much all I was doing. I was just removing viruses from Windows machines. But these viruses were pretty nasty, like trying to erase your hard drive, locking you out from everything um, that. That you could, you know, 
you can't do anything. You can't get online. And with this adware, it's more of like an annoyance. Like it's, exactly. you know, they want to, they want to get your ad clicks and you know, it, you can, some people kind of live with it. Like I've had people come in, just, they would just download another browser and hope that the adware wasn't on that. But yeah, it, it, it is interesting because they're, you know, max, everyone's has this, you know, misconception or some people have this misconception that, you know, Max doesn't get any viruses, but, you know, it could be hindered by this type of stuff. Well, yeah. and we've we've all been kind of taught, number one, yes, that Macs don't get viruses. And number two, oh, well, that's okay. The Mac is secure because we've got sandboxing and we've got things that will only run from the Mac App Store or from signed apps. And so I guess one question is, can you just explain a little bit about how does some of this stuff still get through? I mean, if you've got Gatekeeper and if you've got app code signing and all of this stuff, I mean, how how does my dad accidentally download um, this thing was called like K9 something something when he thinks he's downloading an Excel spreadsheet and how does it, well, I know how it auto runs because he had the little box check to open quote unquote safe files after downloading, but um, supposedly he never typed his password. I mean, how do these, how do these things work? And, you know, I guess you don't know, but you know, what, well, what is I Apple mean- doing? I mean, sometimes it's sometimes it's Apple scripts or sometimes they find loopholes by, you know, a, a browser extension, uh, at least to my knowledge, doesn't require you to put a password in. I think so that's once, true. Once they're in, they're in. Um, but uh, one thing we would see a lot is a, a pop, like a fake Adobe Flash player pop up. That was yeah. a big one. So, you know, if, if they need Adobe Flash player, they're just going to continue. They're going to type in their password. Um, but it, it can get attached to software. So it can get attached to software like Mac Keeper, you can get attached to software that's just, you know, you know, tune up my Mac or, or some kind of, uh, you know, silly, silly software like that. Um, so a lot of the time you're, you know, without knowing when you're, you're installing it. Um, but yeah, there are certain cases where unknowingly you're installing it, but once it's on there, you kind of got to know um, where to look to get rid of it. Yeah. And so I'm where gonna... do you look to get rid of it? <laughs> yeah, so they, uh, when this first started cropping up, it was really trial and error. Um, now there's uh, there's a software actually uh, on a website called thesafemac.com. Um, it's called Adware Medic. That's really good at, at getting into the stuff. But back when it first started cropping up, it, it was kind of trial and error. So uh, they were pretty smart about it. You know, just deleting the browser extension does not get rid of it. So you can delete the browser extension, change your homepage, and that may put it off. But what these companies or these AdWord companies would do is they would inject um, their P-list or their preference list in multiple places in the file system. So not just in your user library, but it could also be in your root library. So it would was one of those things where once we started seeing the names of these files, like one of them was called vSearch. So once we started seeing that, we were able to kind of dig into it um, and delete those files so that they don't, you know, they don't uh, re-download the software. Interesting. So, so these things do embed themselves. You can't, you can't get them rid of them as easily as I thought you would have been able to. Yeah, it's if you actually look at this K-based article, I might be able to send it to you. Apple, um, they they give you these file paths. That's they give you the file paths to where these things would lie. And I, I think it's a, a little uh, kind of crazy for them to expect a, like a basic basic Mac user to to do this. But they're giving you, you know, you know, Mac has gone. Uh, gone to great lengths to to make the file system kind of hide in the background for its customers but they're telling you you know go to 
uh, go to Finder, hit Command Shift G, type in this file path, and delete these files. So it's you know th- it's something that they they had to acknowledge because it, it started to become widespread. Matt, do you know the story behind the safemac.com? Is that a is that a new site? Because I had not heard of it before, and I'm looking at it right now. If you had mentioned it. I hadn't heard of it until this started to become uh, a problem, and uh, a colleague of mine mentioned it. They were familiar with the site. It's It's been around for some time, um, and it started out uh, – it used to not be called Adware Medic. It started out as just a Apple script. So you yeah. ran this Apple script. It, it found all the files and deleted them, um, and then they kind of turned it into this software with a GUI and uh, a little more user-friendly. And it's a donation-based software. And they do support um, Adware. Medic requires a macro name 10.7 or later. And uh, we'll put a link for this in the show notes. So so it's it's nice to know because, frankly, Joe, one of the concerns I always have about sending people to software like this is am I sending them out of the frying pan into the fire? Because a lot of times there are people that put things on the Internet that sound like they want to solve a problem that they create. Oh, exactly. Absolutely. That's like these tune my Macs or tune my PCs. Like these are apps that are actually kind of draining your computer resources versus actually helping you find problems on your Mac. Yeah. Well, Joe, I... (laughs) You've solved a couple of my problems already, so I want to I want to continue this conversation. But I do want to take a quick break uh, and talk about our first sponsor for this episode, um, and that is our friends over at Pixelmator. And you may remember Pixelmator as featured in the Apple presentation last year. Uh, they were actually named Best of the App Store for 2014. We've long talked about Pixelmator for the Mac, and it remains one of my favorite Mac apps. But there is also brand new uh, in 2014 Pixelmator for the iPad, and it is available. Available for only $9.99. Uh, it is a powerful image editor that gives you everything you need to create, edit, and enhance your images. And it lets you work seamlessly between the Mac and the iPad if you've got the Mac version installed as well. And it even lets you work effortlessly with people who use Adobe Photoshop. Now, Pixelmator takes advantage of the latest iOS technologies, giving you a speedy and powerful tools to let you touch up and enhance and draw or paint and imply just dazzling effects to your photos. Um, and it is amazingly simple. Uh, and then once your images are ready, you can share them out to, with the world to celebrate your work. Uh, you can get started with any of a dozen of their beautifully created templates. Uh, you can use their retouching tools to correct wrinkles, to repair scratches, to make flaws vanish from your photos uh, to uh, remove or rearrange objects in composition. I mean, this is a full featured image editor. And did I mention it's on the iPad? They've got a Mac version as well. But you can do all of this on the iPad, and you can combine different tools and effects in an endless number of ways to refine your images. Um, It's loaded with breathtaking effects and advanced image editing, uh, and you can open and save images in a PSD, a JPEG, a PNG, a PDF, and many other popular formats. Of course, they take full advantage of iCloud for sharing, and it is built exclusively for the iPad. The folks at Pixelmator really sweat the details. It is meticulously thought through, handcrafted from the ground up for iOS and iPad, and it is designed to take advantage of all of iOS 8's features and technologies and engineered to leverage the full 64-bit architecture of the new iPad. So go check it out. You can find more information over at pixelmator.com. Uh, it is available in the app store. Uh, and if you decide to purchase it, which you should, uh, make sure that you tell them that Mac power users sent you. And thanks to Pixelmator for their continued support of our show. 
Joe, so we talked about the importance of rebooting once in a while and the problems that are our people are facing with adware now. What are some of the other common Mac problems? I want to save iOS for later in the show. Sure. Um, Mac, on the Mac, we, I would see a lot of mail issues. So um, with mail.app, it's it's had a, you know, a rough time, especially on Mavericks. Uh, and, it, and it's gotten a lot better with Yosemite, but the, there was always weird issues cropping up with mail.app. Uh, you know, deleting an email, popping it back in, uh, or I'm sorry, deleting an email and then it just comes back into your inbox. Um, and, and weird things like it not gelling well with, you know, Exchange and Gmail, um, or, or just, losing your your password but with mail um there are some things you could do to uh, troubleshoot that and I, I talked about this in my piece a little you know with when troubleshooting something like a like a software mail issue uh you have options um just as simple as creating a, a test user account to to just see if this is something that's happening within your uh user account specifically or if it's happening globally within the os and that can help you cut down a lot of troubleshooting time because you may be focusing on digging within your you know your system files when you really should be focusing on your your user library or your user library's preferences okay Um, let me just slow down there a little bit because i'm sure some people didn't get that so you (laughs) know that's okay i mean it's when you set up a new mac you have the ability to set up your account so like on my mac there's the david account and um i could and that that account is clean when I started, unless I migrate it, then it brings over whatever cruft I had on the old machine. Uh, but when you create at that same creation screen that where I pick that I'm going to go to the David user, I could create a separate user account. I could call it a test account or whatever. And, and what Joe's saying is that'll open up a really clean user account. It won't have a bunch of junk in it because it's a brand new account. And then you test the same email settings in that test account. Right. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. How, how often does that solve your problem? Uh, or at I, least dis- disclose that the problem is not um, system wide. It, it, it's it's mostly in my experience. It's mostly something on the user's end. So it, it's actually a great way of um, say say you're with a client, showing them you know your email is working. Uh, we just need to figure out why it's not working in your account. And and at that point, you can focus on you know where where their mail preferences are stored. Maybe those just need to be deleted or refreshed, or maybe it is just as simple as removing the mail account and re-adding it. Sometimes. It's it's sometimes it can be very simple solutions, um, but it helps to know where to look. Right. It was always my experience that because I wrote a book on email during uh, the days of Mavericks, uh, but my experience was the biggest problem in Apple Mail was Gmail by far. A- absolutely, I mean, the testing with Exchange worked. Near, you know, I'm sure it doesn't have all the Exchange features that you'd get in Outlook, and that's a different consideration. But in terms of working, just working day to day, I I felt that Exchange is something I can easily recommend. Whereas, in fact, in the book, ultimately, I recommended people not use Apple Mail for Gmail because it was just so apples and oranges to. Uh, Pardon the, pardon the pun. <laughs> yeah, and 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 especially if you had a if you had a Google Apps account with a you know uh, your domain attached to it, I would sometimes see even worse issues with that. 
Well, and not to get off the trick that you were talking about, about creating a new user account, that does so much more than just diagnose mail problems. I mean, that's going to help you with a whole variety of software problems because it, it will do several things. Number one, it will it will certainly help you isolate, is this a user issue or, or is this a system-wide issue? But, you know, there are some cases when you're not quite sure. I mean, mail is a pretty clear cut. This is a software or could be a service issue. Um but some issues are not quite clear cut whether they're a software or a hardware issue. And if you boot into a new user account and the, the problem doesn't replicate, now you're pretty clearly on the software side. And, and you know, that's before uh, we, I want Joe to talk about that because we get a lot of email from listeners asking about some of their computer problems. And a lot of times it's unclear to me whether or not they're experiencing hardware or software problems. How do you deal with that issue when you're at the Genius Bar? Uh, we relied heavily on um, being able to boot into a external OS. So having, you know, every version of the operating system on a hard drive to boot to boot to is great because that is one way of eliminating uh, software versus hardware. So there's, you know, for example, a customer is having some weird graphics issues on their screen, but it's only in one specific area of the display and you're, and you're not too sure um, if it's one or the other. Being able to just cut their OS out of the equation completely and boot to a, 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 what we would, what we would consider a known good OS, um, that is very helpful. Um, that, that's probably one of the biggest things to narrowing down hardware versus software. And I've seen them do that at the Genius Bar. Usually they've got a little um, portable hard drive, USB or FireWire or whatever. I guess FireWire, I'm dating Yeah, probably myself, not anymore. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're they now even moving to uh, moving to network infrastructure, just, you know, kind of just to eliminate uh, hard drives because, you know, an external hard drive st- still can be unreliable. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it, at the so, Genius Bar, admittedly, there's they have some, you know, proprietary great tools to, to diagnose, diagnose hardware issues. But, but just to get to Joe's concept is you pull a drive out that's got a clean uh, install of Mavericks or Yosemite or whatever on it, and then you plug it into the Mac... And then I have to look this up every time I do it. You, you, you um, what is it? You, what, you hold down option. Then, you hold down option. Yeah. Option. Then you can select between the two devices. But isn't there another way too that you can uh, go directly to the hard drive? I think there's. I think you, no. you're previously thinking of when you could hold down the C key and boot from a CD. Yes. That, that's what I'm thinking. Yes. Yeah, you can boot yeah. directly to thinking. the CD. You're right. So hold down um, but, option key. But that that doesn't exist anymore. I'm old. <laughs> I'm so old. Uh, but anyway, so the um, you plug in the drive, hold down the option key, and then you can select to boot from the external drive, and then you've got a clean version of the operating system. Now, people listening to this are going to say, well, that's all fine and dandy for Joe, because he's working at the Apple store and has got this hard drive. Um, would you recommend somebody having a clean version of the operating system at their home? Yeah, absolutely. And it, and it's easier than ever to act to, to do it because now with your Macs, they come with a recovery partition. So um, it would just be as simple as booting up your Mac, holding down the option key. And generally, if, if your Mac is fairly recent or has a line or later, you'll see Macintosh HD and you'll see the recovery partition. So in that yeah. recovery partition is a, is a way for you to reinstall your operating system. Um, so in, in, instead of reinstalling the operating system on your internal drive, when it asks you where you want to install that OS, you can pick your external drive and then you have um, a, a clean version of the OS ready to go. And it's it's really not 
very expensive now or cost prohibitive to have an external drive that you've got just a clean version of the OS loaded on with maybe a test user account because you can load that on like a flash drive now and you know probably an 8 probably a 16 gigabyte flash drive would would be exactly. the minimum that you would want for that but God, those are cheap now you know i've i've got one sitting here in my my desk drawer with a clean install of the OS and i, yeah, I think I, the- I thought, Katie, you carried that on you at all times. No, the one that I carry on me with all times has an installer for the OS. I've got one in my drawer with just I love that. purposes. I lo- Ladies and gentlemen, wherever you are, if you have a problem. <laughs> if you have a problem, I can, in- I can reinstall. Katie and reinstall the OS for you. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's on my keychain. Hey, that is, that I, is coming handy. I know a lot of our listeners, though, are the people in their families and their groups of friends. They're, you know, they're the resident geeks. And, and th- that, that would be useful. Speaking uh, of yeah, which, I've, just, I've got to update that because I've got ten dot ten dot one on there. So. Wait, wait. You mean you have an old version that you're carrying <laughs> with you twenty four seven? I do. I've got to update that since ten dot ten dot two. I've lost so out. much respect for you, Katie. <laughs> I know. Such a shame. Such a shame. <laughs> but uh, so th- that's another that's another great point. So you, you're distinguishing hardware to software. You can do that yourself if you if you figure out. Now, I uh, granted uh, for diagnosing hardware, I don't think there's anything better to do than to go to an Apple store because for exactly what Joe said earlier, Apple. And I've witnessed over my years of being a customer and and a nerd and looking over the shoulder whenever they work on any of my family's machines that it seems like the tools have got just like loads better in the last five to 10 years. I yeah, mean, just and there, so much better. I, there's one thing that I, I shame on me for not putting this in the piece now that I'm thinking about it, because there is one thing you could do that now with newer Macs, if you hold down D on startup, there is something called AHT, Apple Hardware Test, oh, that yeah. runs it runs a basic hardware scan on your computer. So that is that is an additional thing you could do before you make the trip there. Wait, now, is that is that software or is that in on the chips itself? It's actually baked into the main logic board. Um, So it's in non-volatile RAM and you can kind of boot right from that and it'll kind of do a quick scan of your machine. And people used to suggest running that in loop mode. I don't know if that's still an option because it would would be a stress test because sometimes things don't manifest problems until they heat up. Yeah, I think that has changed. I think they've made the user interface a little... uh, a little more user friendly, less Mac OS nine, and, and it just does a, a, a quick thing. Yeah, because it was Mac OS nine for a long time. Yeah, <laughs> but, that, but it was it was kind of fun to boot into that and see it occasionally. So, are there any any telltale signs of a of of a hardware issue? I mean, people used to equate kernel panics with hardware issues, but that's not necessarily true. Um, you know, if a Mac just flat out won't start up, that may be a sign of a of a hard drive issues, but, you know, maybe not necessarily. I mean, is there any way that I can say based on my Mac having these symptoms, it feels like a hardware issue? Because, you know, certainly if you if you go to an Apple store, or if you call, you know, Apple care on the phone, they're going to take you down a certain troubleshooting path. Yeah, sure. Um, the most common one we saw and you you may see unfortunately on your mac is a blinking folder with question mark oh that's um, a bad sign yeah and then it used to be um a frowny face finder icon blinking at you uh, i think in the past um but that 
means that your machine cannot find your boot disk. Uh, now, if you're lucky, it may have just forgot where your boot disk was. Maybe you were, you know, playing around with booting from your CD, um, and that could be resolved by a simple um, NVRAM reset or what people refer to as PRAM back when there was, you know, the PowerPC days. All right, um, now, now I got to ask you. I was always told that you, when you zap your PRAM, you zap it five times in a row and wait for the chime. That's that's not true, right? That's just a that's just an old wives' tale. I I yeah, absolutely. I oh. I it is it is. I I think one is enough. But if you want to be cautious, twice, you know, listen for the chime twice. Um, five times. No, no, wait, wait, wait. Five I times. thought you threw you threw salt over your right shoulder, <laughs> then you zap it once. And then spin around and, and then spin around while while chanting. I do not have animosity towards my Apple device. Just say that like three times, and then you zap it again. Yeah, you may that's, just that's you may just way. get lucky. <laughs> no, and then uh, and then you have to rebuild the desktop, and that yeah. enough. Sorry. So but yeah, you know, I mean, how how important is zapping the PRAM? In there's no PRAM anymore. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, everyone, I, I even refer to PRAM, but I, I, I did mention in my article that it's now NVRAM, non-volatile RAM. Yeah. But I mean, for, you know, for just discussing, yeah, zapping the PRAM is not something that I would really call preventative maintenance. Here's what gets whole, held in the, the PRAM or NVRAM, um, your volume settings. So, for example, um, you mute your Mac before you shut it down. When you start your Mac back up, you you won't hear that chime. Um, but if you powered it on and zapped the PRAM, it would then set your volume back to default settings. Um, that's uh, It also um, applies yeah. to resolution, screen resolution. So say you shut down your Mac when you were connected to an external monitor. Sometimes you'll see your Mac boot up and it's kind of uh, 16 by 9 because it still thinks that it's connected to the monitor. Zapping the PRAM will also um, reset things like that. Okay, I just realized that we have not explained how you zap the PRAM. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um, w while your Mac is off, um, you're going to tap the power button, and before um, before you hear that chime, you want to have Command-Option-PR held down, um, and... At that point, your Mac will, uh, you'll see your Mac screen light up like it's about to boot up. Then it will shut back down and it will then, uh, chime. Um, and at that point, you know that, you know, having it shut down and restart, the, the PRM has been zapped. All right. Sounds good. And then there's as, this as whole. Katie, what did you say? You said you had some disdain, Katie, when you said it's not, it's not PRAM anymore. It's in VRAM, but, but right. five times I'm is sorry. the number of times that you do it. Just all right. Um, and then, and then there's this SMC reset. What, what is that all about? Yeah, that that's something that came about when um, Apple switched to Intel. So there is kind of a chip built into the main logic board, SMC system management controller. And that, um, controls uh, a lot of power aspects of your machine. So, um, you know, how your machine charges, you know, the battery reading that you're getting, um, you know, it also keeps... It keeps things in, keeps things in uh, sync when your Mac goes to sleep. So resetting the SMC is something that, uh, once again, it's not preventative maintenance, but you would want to do that if you were seeing some, you know, weird charging issues. So s sometimes I've seen a Mac where it says uh, 
plugged in and not charging or it you know the the light on it's kind of switching back from green to amber sometimes an smc reset can fix those funky issues with your mac cool all right um i want to talk about software a bit but before we do that let's talk about uh, our second sponsor that's automatic so what is automatic it's a connected car adapter it's a nice little device it plugs into the diagnostic part in uh in your car you know it's the one your mechanic uses when you go in to get everything checked every car since 1996 has one of these ports so if you've got a car that's 96 or older or newer i say uh you you can use the automatic and then it's got inside of it a bluetooth receiver that can pair to your phone so when you drive it connects your car to your phone and ultimately the internet. It's really great. I've had one for a long time and not only have I had one, I bought one for my wife and daughter too. And the reason is because it gives you so much more power over your car. Um, uh, Once you get it, you don't pay a subscription. It's just free to use with your mobile app. And you know, when you get that check engine light, thing on your dashboard and you have no idea what it means if it's a multi-thousand dollar problem or if you just need to add air to your tires or whatever um, this does it for you it explains in plain english what's going on with your car and you can even clear the light yourself if it's a small problem right from your phone Um, another thing you can do with this device is you can log your trips because it keeps track using both the internet and the car information it knows when you started when you left what your gas mileage was how far you went where you where you ended up at it even remembers where you parked your car so if you get to a big massive you know parking lot and you have trouble finding your car it can help you find it it also gives you feedback and i was having uh, fun talking about this recently i did an amigos podcast with um adam christensen and victor kahia and we were talking about our our scores and and i am i'll you know katie floyd i have the highest score of those yeah, three yeah of course you do because hey i drive a hybrid so i always want to like get really great gas mileage so i do slow brakes and i don't accelerate crazy but it 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 grades your driving which is kind of fun i think and you know gaming the system actually helps in my mind um and it's got another thing called crash detection which is something i love and this is the reason i bought it for my daughter's car if she's in a crash I get notified right away. They can call for help for free. Even a human will stay on the line with you until help help arrives. It's just, I mean, all this is in this one little device you're plugging in. Now, um, uh, we've tried to talk about some of the things with some of these sponsors that we really like. And I'll tell you one thing I really love about the automatic device is this trip logging because I travel a lot for work and I'm driving all over Southern California to meet clients. And I want to keep those, um, the mileage of those trips for my expenses. Well, there's a couple ways you can do it. It, it, It'll connect to if this, then that, and you can send it to a Google spreadsheet if you want to get fancy. But even if you want to keep it simple and you don't want to go that far, they've got a website that you can log into for your automatic device and once you log in it's got all the trips you've taken right there and you can just check the box for each one that is work related you press one button and it exports it to a csv uh, spreadsheet file and then you can open it up in numbers or excel and you've got a really nice spreadsheet of all the trips you've taken how far you went how much gas you used the whole nine yards is right there all done with this great device that you buy once and i just i can't help but say it again there's no subscription fee once you plug it in it's yours and you use it um, it integrates with the nest now so if you've got the nest uh, at your home uh, you can have it start heating your home as you get closer to home and there's a whole bunch more you can do with that if you go to automatic.com slash nest you can learn about it so how much does all this cost you can order one for 99.95 uh no subscription fees 
if you buy it through our podcast, you get 20% off. That's right. We're going to save you 20 bucks on this. So go to automatic.com slash Mac power. It ships in two days and they have a 45 day return policy. So if you get it and you don't like it, you can send it back. But this is a device that I believe is right up the wheelhouse of our listeners. I have one. I love it. I bet you will too. Go check it out. Thanks automatic for sponsoring the show. And once again, that link is automatic.com slash Mac power. So, uh, Joe, probably most issues that people are going to have with their Mac are, are going to be software issues. I, I get that occasionally they're going to be hardware issues, and most of the time you're going to end up having to, to take those into the Genius Bar and maybe get a repair or a replacement. But a lot of people are going to end up having software issues, and those are probably things that a lot of people, especially listeners to this audience, can maybe troubleshoot and, and solve themselves. So um, let's maybe spend some time, you know, this next segment walking through and, and troubleshooting, you know, what are the steps that I should take if I'm having a problem with my Mac and I, I think I've got it narrowed down to it being a software issue? We've we've already talked about one big one being, you know, maybe boot into a, a clean user account. Yeah. So once you are on the track of, you know, it being a software issue, you have a couple of utilities pre-installed that, that can kind of help you narrow it down even further. So the console app in the utilities folder of the applications folder, um, albeit a bit intimidating when you first launch it, um, it has some pertinent information that can, that can help you out. So for example, yeah, now um, I will, I will admit I do not understand the console app, so help me out here. Well, when you first launch it, you see a lot of text and a lot of gibberish. And um, one thing that it's doing is it's just you know logging down your your activity, not in not in like a weird way, like you just open this app, but um, logging down anything that may be going on the background. But on the sidebar is where you see um, the information about if something goes wrong. So there's the uh, user diagnostic reports and system diagnostics reports that um, will list, you know, for example, you have um, Skype crashing on you a lot. It'll list that app. Um, and sometimes when you click on that log, it may uh, it may tell you a little further as maybe if there's something, you know, conflicting with it. But on the other hand, it might just be an indication that you just need to reinstall it or update it. Um, so it, it, it kind of puts you on the right track as to where um, or as to what could be going on because sometimes an app for example I had um, a, a particular client where Dropbox was crashing but they wouldn't really know that because most of the time it's, it's in the background so when the console uh, is just saying Dropbox 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 and it's just listing it every you know every you know couple of logs at that point you're able to say alright well it looks like we're going to have to either address this by uninstalling or, or updating. All right. So should I be looking in console under all messages? Should I be looking under diagnostic and usage messages? Should I be under under user versus system reports? I mean, how, you, is there any way to narrow that down a little bit? Uh, user and system reports are the two sections that I would say can give you um, the most information, and, and so that that will also log down kernel panic. So, you know, as as I believe David mentioned before, kernel panics can be very ambiguous. Sometimes it could be hardware, sometimes it could be software. Um, but being able to kind of navigate to this. Uh, 
to this section, click on the kernel panic, it may say towards the top, you know, what particular utility, say it's a software issue, it may say, you know, uh, Western Digital Backup Utility is crashing, or it may not say, it's not going to say is crashing, but you'll see that listed, and then you can say, all right, that that may have caused the the kernel panic. Um, sometimes it isn't as helpful as you like it to be, um, and at, the, at that point, you know, you may have to either bring it to you know an Apple genius's attention or post it to you know the Apple support communities, and maybe someone with a little more experience can kind of help you out and discern what's going on there. Yeah, and what I'd add to that is that you know the console I think can be intimidating for people, but you know just go to your uh, to the Finder type you know console. Or, you know, and the app will come up and it is going to scroll a big line of text to you. But just like Joe was saying, it will indicate major system events like a kernel panic or a crash. And everything is time stamped. So you may see that it is like hitting Skype, hitting Skype, hitting Skype, kernel panic. And you're going to say, well, why did my computer just shut down on me? Well, it looks like there's a problem with possibly Skype and then and maybe it'll do it again in a few hours and you'll see the same types of message right before it shuts down. Um, that's really good information. And yeah. whether it's your own computer, or you're troubleshooting somebody else, um, you can then have a starting point to say, well, what if I uninstall Skype? Just just take it off the computer for a while and see what happens. And yeah, suddenly yeah. that goes away. Yeah, one trick I picked up uh, is if you're in the all messages setting and you and you go to the top right corner and you search uh, shutdown cause, shutdown space cause, that will give you uh, kind of a time and date as to when the Mac has shut down and it will give you a little number next to it. Um, and that indicates some other things. So sometimes it'll be a negative number, sometimes it'll be a positive number. And if you put that into a Google search, you'll see that um, it pertains to something. Something. So you may get uh, a negative 60. Um, and for example, a negative 60 means your machine ran out of battery power. And that is why it logged that shutdown cause. Um, but you also may see a positive number like three or five. And that is normal. That means your Mac was either shut down via the software menu properly um, or, you know, shut down via the power button. And again, it requires a little research on your end. But it, those little tips and tricks can be helpful um, for you to kind of figure out what's causing the issue. Now, I know sometimes when I've when I've called Apple and gotten on the phone with an Apple Care technician to troubleshoot something, um, they've got this unique ability for me to send them my logs, and they they've got a utility they send me, and they say, "Oh, okay, well, well, send me your diagnostic logs." And I imagine that they're looking for something specific based on the problem that I've called into them. Should that ever make me nervous? No, uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say um, there's any personal information or anything in there. Uh, you know, the most the most things that they're going to see is kind of when you're on your computer. You know, that's really what's time stamped as far as like how long you are on your computer. But you, know, what they're really doing is they got some preset search searches that they're going to you know look for some very um, obvious things. So you know, with the Apple Care over the phone technicians, they aren't geniuses, meaning they. Did did not have, you know, that rigorous training. And don't get me wrong, Apple trains them, but it's it's one of those things where they are kind of working off of a database of, um, you know, helpful, you know, tips and things that they could try on their end. 
Okay. And then probably the other main tool that we've got on our system uh, is another one that mystifies a lot of people, and that's Activity Monitor. Yeah, I, I like Activity Monitor um, it, uh, a lot. I even have it where, you know, there's a way you can kind of change the icon to give you um, either RAM usage or CPU usage, and it's kind of like a live icon on your dock, um, which it, which is pretty nice. But with Activity Monitor, Apple has made it uh, a lot more user-friendly. Um, they've added an energy tab, which is like a real clear-cut way of seeing what's impacting your battery life, and it's just it just goes by you sort it in order of number and it just gives you the the highest percentage um but the the cpu tab um uh, that's where you'll see, or that's where you'll be able to find runaway processes. So, you know, I've had um, many clients where their Macs, their fans are just kind of whirring and, and blasting, and they don't they don't appear to be doing anything, or at least they don't think that they're doing anything crazy to make their Mac fans go wild. But you know, how for often ex- is that a browser? You know what? That's exactly what I was going to say. It's usually a browser with, uh, for example, well, before Yosemite, um, where uh, Netflix had to use uh, Microsoft Silverlight. So the Silverlight plugins cranking the CPU and, you know, they say, all I do is watch Netflix and, you know, message with my friends. But that's all it takes. Um, that silver uh, light plugin used to give us a lot of headaches. Um, I believe now Netflix... Uh, built it into the Safari. I don't know. They worked with Apple on the Safari browser where you don't need that plugin anymore, um, which is nice. But yeah, it was, sometimes it was just opening up Activity Monitor and seeing uh, Safari web flash content. So, you know, it's the flash content that's that's causing it or it's Silverlight content. So, you know, if you ever think that something is amiss, just being able to pop open Activity Monitor and, you know, seeing, oh, this app is using, you know, uh, 100% of my, you know, CPU, uh, it's then easier to determine, you know, what to do next. Now, when I go into Activity Monitor and I just sort by name, because, for example, if I sort by CPU or something, that's that's obviously going to change moment by moment as, as things run through. But how do I know maybe what is supposed to be running and and what's not you know if if somebody um you know if if somebody installed something on my mac or if maybe i've got you know one of those out aware things on on my mac that i don't know about then you know how do i know what should be running and what shouldn't be running because a lot of these things i recognize i recognize skype i recognize screen connect i you know recognize spotlight and text expander and all of those things that are running on my mac even while podcasting you know i've got several dozen things that i recognize running on my mac despite the fact that i don't have any applications open but there's some of this stuff that i don't know you know there's some process called bird running but you know i don't know that that's anything bad or you know, is there a yeah. way to figure out what these things are? There, yeah, there is. So they, app, before Yosemite, Apple had a, I believe it was right in the main user interface where you could sort it by all processes, my processes, but they've now moved it to the view menu. So if you click the view menu and you change it to my processes, that's a lot more helpful because that's anything that you installed, whether that was intentionally or not, and it kind of narrows down all the other kind of corrupt. So you're seeing a lot of things ending in D, which is daemon, and that's generally a, a lot of all the system and operating stuff and, and 
you usually don't have to, you know, look to that as being the problem. Occasionally, the operating system itself is is so corrupt that it, it is the problem, but it's it's rare. So being able to sort it to my processes, you're then able to see, oh, all right, you know, like you said, it, it's this weird thing called, you know you know, Mac safe. And it, I've never installed that because then you can then narrow it down and hopefully uninstall it. Any other, um, I, obviously these are the two big ones that are built in, but any other tools on our Mac are, are great techniques for, for troubleshooting software issues? Um, yeah, the network utility app, I, I believe it's just called network utility. That, that app, um, can help uh, a lot with having connection problems. Um, you're able to do like uh, things like ping specific websites or um, see exactly you know what your bandwidth is. So that that would be another app. I I, I don't use it very often, but um, that's another thing built into the OS. But as far as what you could install, that would be a real help. Um, the app iStats menu. Uh, I believe. Yes, or I love that. Yeah, iStat that, menu. That, yeah, that is great. That app um, is worth every penny. Uh, it, it, you know, you can have live monitoring on your toolbar, or you can go into the app and really dig into, you know, it, say a fan is over, you know, overheating or overrunning. Um, I would say that is a tool um, that uh, everyone, if they if they're really serious about trying to fix things on your own, installing that. All right. Well, Joe, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, what steps can we take before we call tech support? Um, but before we do, I want to take a quick break and talk about our next sponsor. Uh, and that is the Omni Group. And I got to say, I am really loving Omni Outliner right now. I am getting ready to give a presentation um, to a, a group that's coming to my office for four hours to listen to me talk about landlord-tenant law next week. Uh, and I've been tweaking and working on the outline for probably a couple of weeks now. And Omni Outliner has just been a godsend. It is the premier outlining tool for Mac and iOS that will let you store and collect all sorts of information about just about anything. And so what I've been doing is I, I went and I met with my client and I took my iPad and with Omni Outliner, you know, I just took some notes on my iPad and then those big points kind of became the major topic headings for my outline. And I kind of came home that night and as I was lying in bed, I inserted some subpoints and then that all synced using the omnipresent sync server. So it was on my laptop, my personal laptop, and then on my Mac back at the office. Um, and I've just been bouncing back and forth between device, whether it be on my personal Mac, whether it be my work off Mac, uh, or whether it be on my iPad, you know, just going in and adding additional points and flushing out this outline and moving things around, you know, maybe this section needs to be over here and maybe this section needs to be over here. Uh, and it's been great. And when I found links of interest or um, an article that I wanted to make reference to, um, I can just drag those into my outline. I can add more information to my outline by pulling in attachments or recordings or PDFs or whatever I want to do. Um, and you can even record audio while you're taking notes if that's something what you want to do. Um, I've been sharing this outline a little bit with my client by exporting them. You can do that into a variety of formats so that I can get their feedback on it as well. Um, and the Omnipresent Sync has all been free. Um, I've got the pro version of Omni Outliner because it brings me additional features like additional export formats, Apple Script support, um, and advanced style control. But you can do a lot of the things that I talked about, even with the standard version of Omni Outliner, which starts at just $49.99. Uh, the pro version is $99.99, and the iPad version is $29.99, with upgrade and educational pricing is available. So 
if that sounds like a workflow that might be helpful to you, it's just one of many examples of how I use Omni Outliner uh, in my everyday life. Uh, you can go check them out. They've got a free trial that you can download of the Mac version over at omnigroup.com. Uh, and thanks to Omni for their continued support of the show. And Katie, just to add to that, they have announced publicly that they're going to have a version on the phone of Omni Outliner, and it's going to be universal. So if you've bought the version for the iPad, you're going to automatically have on the phone. I'm running the beta, and it's great. So you guys, if you've got those big phones out there, Omni Outliner will work there, too. Very cool. Soon. Not yet, but soon. Very cool. Okay. Um, yeah. What about that, Joe? I mean, when what, at what point do we say, okay... I'm a nerd, but I couldn't get this figured out. I need to go talk to someone at the Apple store. Yeah. What, what should you do before then or to isolate well, I, it? Or does that even help? There's actually, Apple does a great job in updating their knowledge base. Um, it, you know, you'll notice that at the bottom of a knowledge base article, it'll tell you the month and the year it, it's been updated. And um, every time I've gone to a, a knowledge base article of something, you know, that's come up recently, you know, they're, they're updating it aggressively. They have a, they have a team that's, you know, solely giving that information out to its customers. The thing is, is people, don't think to go to the knowledge base um, because it, it, it's just, you know, when they think of apple.com, they may just think of, you know, where they can find information about the latest phone or, or, you know, going to the store, but that paired with the Apple support communities is, is huge. So the, the Apple support communities, you know, some may think that it, it it's an untrustworthy source of information because it's not Apple geniuses answering these questions, but there are people and and they don't get paid for it. They're just like these Apple support community like uh, nuts. And all they do is they find these people's uh, questions and they, they try to figure it out for them. And they, you know, they tell them to paste these logs and they, and they, you know, they give them advice. And, uh, you know, a lot of the time that's, that's if it's, you know, it's something new that I haven't heard about. I look to the support communities all the time. It's, you know, the thing about, uh, some people's conception of a of a uh, an IT person is that you know they're all knowing but you know i think that the um the the skill and the 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 qualifications of a good IT or tech person is being able to go to a resource and kind of wade through all this information and make sense of it yeah cuz you can't know the answer to everything but do you know where you can go to find the answer and figure out if you're getting good information Exactly. And um, sometimes it is as simple as a Google search. Um, but, you know, some people's brains aren't wired that way to think like that. You know, I have this problem, you know, I'm going to call my tech friend or most commonly, I'm just going to bring it to the Genius Bar. And a lot of these questions can be answered and resolved, you know, by just opening up your browser. And and that's a bigger issue now because Apple has become so successful, at least in my experience, it's harder to get into the Genius Bar than it used to. I mean, the, the wait times are longer. Sometimes it may be several days. And if you can solve the problem on your own, that's going to be great. And that's exactly the reason why I wrote this piece is because 
working at the Apple store, I know what it feels like to be on the employee side. You know, the, the, the appointments are, you know, severely behind, you know, an hour behind. And then now I know as a, just a, a customer, um, how it sucks to just sit there for, you know, 40 minutes, you know, past your appointment time and, you you really kind of feel helpless. You just see employees screaming out people's names, and you're you're kind of in the dark as to you know where you are. I mean, you uh, the Apple Genius Bar used to be you know your names were shown on a uh, on a display behind the Genius Bar in like an order. You would see your name, so you would know when you're coming up. But that's not the case, and you know it, I I understand why they don't do it that way because the the traffic has increased so much. But, you know, it, it does suck to just, ha- you know, have to go after a long day at work and, you know, wait for an hour just to have something resolved in a couple minutes, sometimes. Okay, so let's say that you've, you've decided this is a problem I need to go see the genius about. Um, in addition to backing up, which we all will be doing, uh, what else should I be doing with my machine before I take it in? Well, if you want, I mean, if you're someone who who, you know... Uh, doesn't want their inform you know for example a- as an apple employee there was a lot of customers who were uncomfortable with giving their password to their user account um and, and- that that's understandable. So we would go ahead and uh, walk them through making a like you know like a test user account or a, another user account. So that's something that you could do if you're concerned or if you can't you know you know if it's if it's your profession that you cannot have someone access this information. You know, make another user account so that when they, for example, fix your trackpad, you know, how are they going to test if the trackpad works if they can't get into an account and and click around? So just being able to set that up for them and you know say hey use you know username is this password is that that will help you know that will help save you both time can't any administrator though reset the password for another user well, that that's the that's the funny thing about um, <laughs> the false sense of security that you have. Um, we won't tell people if you're not using File Vault. Um, yes, uh, there anyone can uh, reset your password. I'm mean, right. Well, maybe I, I shouldn't say this, but you know, we're we're going to educate people. You can reset your password as simple as just getting into the recovery partition of the person's computer. So yes. if they don't have File Vault, you option boot into the recovery, and there are ways to reset the password there without having to know any information. So File Vault uh, can be a big help um, if if you have sensitive info. Right, yeah, but I, I just, but if you're if you're taking your machine into the genius, they've got to be able to boot it anyway. So I mean, you've got to you got to turn over that information. Exactly, it's you know it, it's give and take. Uh, the thing is, is Apple Apple really like I said, I went through a rigorous interview process. They really um, make sure that they're picking. Uh, the right person for the job, and, and yeah. don't get me wrong, you know, some 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 employees fall through the cracks, but you know, I don't believe um, I've ever heard of a data privacy issue come out of the Genius Bar, and and I and I've heard um, exactly that come out of like the Geek Squad. There has been yeah. stories in the past of of people's information, you know, someone gets someone you know skyped somebody while they were working on the user's computer, but yeah, Apple. Um, you know, their employees, uh, 
they know that they are that they got it good and that they they don't want to you know get fired yeah and i didn't mean to take us off on that tangent but but obviously doing a backup is important um to the extent that you may be required to for your office if you can you know securing your your data uh, is important anything else people should do before they come to see a genius and anything that helps you with your job you know should they document the steps that they've taken previously or do you do you have to go through them anyway or well in certain cases we do have to you know go through you know so say they ran that that user diagnostic on their computer and the diagnostic in their computer said hey your ram is bad you know i I have no reason not to believe you, but I am going to run that same test to confirm that your RAM is bad. Um, but, it, you know, yeah, being able to describe what you've done already is a huge help. So if you come into the Genius Bar and you tell them, well, I've already tried removing and re-adding this account, well, that's great. I, You know, I'll take your word for it and I'll, I'll go on to the next step. And, you know, and if it's something that we have to do later on, we will. But most of the time, you know, these customers want to, uh, they want to have this appointment go just as fast as the Genius does. They, they want it to be simple. They want it to be fast. No one's looking to be without their Mac for a long period of time. So yeah, being able to tell your genius the different steps that you've taken is great. And, and just to go back on the subject of backups, uh, having an offsite I, uh, cloud backup is is really becoming almost non-negotiable. I've seen so many um, failed backup drives, um, and I've unfortunately seen uh, too many people uh, get very upset about their data loss. You know because they they have a they don't understand you know that these are spinning disk drives and and they're susceptible to a lot of failure yeah i was having dinner actually last night um with my my brother and his girlfriend and i had just swapped out my brother's hard drive with an ssd and we were talking about doing the same for his girlfriend's machine because he was talking about how much faster his drive was and i said well you know the first thing you want to do is make sure you have a good backup of everything and we were trying to figure out what size ssd she needed um and she said well it's mainly just my photos and i have them all backed up and i said well where are they backed up and she said oh on my hard drive i've got them on iphoto and i've got them on a folder in my hard drive and I said, oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let, let, let me explain to you how backup works. Oh, yeah. yeah. I've seen people like make a, a separate partition of their internal drive and use. I don't even know how they did this, but they would use that as their time machine backup. And wow. it, it, yeah, I, I don't I, think Apple would even let that allow that to happen. That's surprising. Yeah, it's. I mean, I didn't, I, it was pretty rare that I would see it, but I, I, it was, there were certain cases where I would see that and, and people were none the wiser. They really thought that they had a backup of their drive. Yeah. Well, hopefully no, no Mac power users, listeners, you know, fall into that camp, but. Um, oh yeah. Um, one of the concerns that, you know, sometimes pops up is, you know, Apple is, is great. And I know they've got tremendous customer service and I've, I've seen them, you know, do it time and time again, both for me and members of my family and other people just while I've been waiting there. But, you know, unfortunately, if you don't have Apple care, um, sometimes repairs or hardware repairs, um, on a Mac, you know, can, can be expensive, you know. So if you've if you either you didn't purchase Apple Care or you've perhaps fallen out of warranty, um, are there any tips or tricks that people should know who maybe know that they have a problem? I mean, are they just out of luck? You know, what what recommendations or advice would you have for people who know that they've got a problem but don't have any Apple Care coverage for whatever reason? 
Well, there are app, you know, depending on your location, there are Apple authorized service providers um, that sometimes uh, give a better price than what Apple was quoting for a repair. So, you know, Apple actually willingly links to these Apple authorized service providers. So I believe it's... um, I think it's support.apple.com slash locate, or I can get you the link, but they have a section where it says, you know, you want to find service, put in your zip code. And they, along with their genius bars, they'll link these Apple authorized service providers. So, um, you have options sometimes. Um, but as, as far as like simple repairs go, if you're willing to, you know, being, I fix it is such a good resource for, for someone who has the kind of the determination to get something fixed on their own. So, you know, hard drive failures are very common. So being able to kind of go through their fix, you know, their I fix it guides and taking it step by step. Um, that's, that's something that, uh, is a, is a huge resource to, to Mac users. Are there are there any options? Um, uh, Dave Hamilton was talking about this on the Mac Geek app, and I don't know if this was just in his particular area um, or if this is a, a, a widely known thing. Um, will Apple do any certain kind of diagnosis for a flat fee or or for uh, for free? Or are there any kind of flat fee repair options that people should know about? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, especially with newer Macs, there's less and less uh, removable parts. So your RAM is now soldered to the main logic board. Um, so you know it is more reliable. But say you have you know one one of the bad batch of of machines that came out of the factory and you're out of warranty, Apple does offer a flat rate price, um, and that depends on the type of machine, whether that's a Air or Pro or, or, or the size, and you, they'll send it out. And f- no matter what needs to be replaced inside that machine, you just play, you just pay that one flat fee. So um, in case of getting a logic board replaced, that is huge because the main logic board and the display are the two most expensive things um, on a machine. So if, if you can pay less to get that replaced, um, it's it's a great service. Um, the the other thing is is that um, with uh, with the flat rate service, or I'm sorry, the other caveat with the flat rate service um, is it has to not have accidental damage. So um, you can't walk into an Apple store with a cracked display and they'll say, hey, we'll send it out for this flat rate. You know that is a little different. So it sounds like even if you're outside of Apple Care, it may make sense just to go see what your options are. Oh, absolutely. Because as far as like diagnosing the situation, um, whether that's at the at the Genius Bar or if they have to take it for a little bit, the the act the act of diagnosing the problem does not cost you anything, which is really huge because um, there are not many like even Apple authorized service providers charge a diagnostics a diagnostics fee. So you know if you have the time uh, to be away from your machine, Apple will do that service for free. Yeah, and if you're about to drop several hundred dollars at iFixit to buy a new logic board for an old Mac, why not go in and have someone at Apple confirm that actually the logic board is the problem before you yeah. do that? <laughs> yeah, that's also true. <laughs> you know, hey, I want to talk about iOS and I want to talk about our last sponsor today, Squarespace. Um, Squarespace is the way to build a simple, powerful, and beautiful website. In fact, I, uh, as I was talking in our last episode, I have gone out and opened up my own little law practice. I did it with Squarespace. I've been getting a lot of tweets and emails, people saying, well, who did you have 
put this website. It looks great. I did it myself. I did it with Squarespace. I, I eat my own dog food, as they say. They've got 24-7 support via live chat and email. And for just 8 bucks a month, you get a free domain. So if you buy Squarespace for the year, you get the domain done. And it's a great service to make a beautiful website. Everything is responsive design. Like I've been getting a lot of um, questions about how come it looks so good on the iPhone. Well, that's because Squarespace does all that work for me. If you put it on the iPhone, it looks one way. If I put on the iPad, it looks another way. Even if I put on the iPad and portrait versus landscape, it gives me different looks. And if I put it on a big widescreen 27-inch iMac, it's going to look good too. All that's done with Squarespace. They scale the look so it works on any device. That's what they call responsive design. Uh, they also have commerce. So if you want to sell t-shirts or whatever, um, it's got a free built-in online store when you get a Squarespace site. If you get a, a more expensive account with Squarespace, it gets even better for the commerce. Uh, but this stuff used to cost thousands of dollars to set up and now it's just for a few bucks a month you've got it set up one of the new features is cover pages that's becoming a thing now people want the cover page when they go to your website it's kind of like a one page online presence in minutes you can do that right in squarespace um we've got lots of different um ways to do this once you get in you just start setting up they've got different templates you can work through if you get the template you like uh then you can start making specific adjustments to it it's really not that hard um uh, so you start with the trial. There's no credit card required. You start building your website today. Uh, when you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure they use the offer code MPU. In fact, when I bought my uh, space for sparksesq.com, I used the MPU discount code. Katie, you think that'll get me in trouble? I'm not sure. No, I think that's a lot. They got me 10% off. So I was very happy about that. And it does show support for the Mac Pow users, and we're very appreciative of that. So thanks, Squarespace, for showing, uh, supporting uh, 5x5 and the Mac Power users. Go check it out. If you've been looking to build a website and you don't want to spend a lot of time learning how to build a website, Squarespace is the answer for you. They're beautiful. They look great. And it doesn't take a lot of your time. So go check it out. Once again, M- offer code MPU and get yourself 10% off. Thanks, Squarespace. So before we wrap up here, David, you want to talk a little bit about um, iOS? And Joe, I know you had some familiarity with with iOS. Um, other than you know the standard, you know, battery needs to be replaced or the screen got cracked. You know, is there much that you can do to troubleshoot an iOS device other than just wipe it and restart it? Well, you you are definitely more limited on iOS, but yes, there is there is a section. It's actually where I. Uh, me and Cody got our podcast name. Diagnostics and Usage is actually a section within iOS. It used to be um, under General uh, and About, but now it's under Settings and Privacy. And within that section, you could see a list of you know apps crashing. Um, some of it's useful, some of it isn't. Um, for example. If you think that, say your your iOS device is rebooting constantly, you're getting a lot of that. You know, you're you're working on it, goes to the Apple logo. That generally signifies a springboard crash. So you will see um, within that diagnostics and usage data that springboard is crashing. Now, if you see one of them, it may not be. Uh, a huge problem. But if you start seeing, you know, 25 logs that say springboard, that may require a reinstall of the OS. Um, but Oh dear, some- we have a problem with mine. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, other things you will see, lo- um, it, it may just say low memory. Um, and that's indicative of you just haven't 
turned your phone off in you know months so if you're you know if you're getting low memory logs you know you might be um within an app and it, and it just closes apple had to kind of kick it out because it needed to recover some more memory for the the os itself um now some of the stuff is you know like you'll some of people will see awd and that's just apple wireless diagnostic so when you're going through an ios setup page it asks you do you want to send developers you know um issues about when an app crashes so pretty much once a day um apple puts a log in there awd and that just means it gathered any crash data and it has communicated it um back to you know whatever servers they use to to digest it um but that's really the only set you know the only section of ios um that will help you troubleshoot a problem um but yeah it doesn't necessarily mean you have to erase your device you know you may just see logs from you know the facebook app and it's just you know tapping on it deleting it and reinstalling it just kind of like you would do on a mac yeah i noticed the um first off when i bought apple care for my iphone i didn't i wasn't able to buy it at the time of purchase for bizarre reasons because i was in the mad rush to get my iphone 6 but they they did a, a remote diagnostics and my brother had a battery problem with his iphone and apple was able to do some kind of remote diagnostics uh, you know when when he wasn't even in the same state as the apple care rep on the phone and they <laughs> said uh yep yep you definitely got a battery issue and you know overnighted him a replacement phone so it seems like they've definitely got the ability to do more now than they were before yeah internally there's an awesome tool so um on your ios device right now you could do this it it can't get you far because you don't have the companion app but if you go into safari and type in diags uh colon forward slash forward slash that'll bring you to a page for you to enter in a code and that's what the apple employee is giving you it's going to say you know go to navigate to this put in this code and yeah with the use of apple apple wireless diagnostics it can actually talk to the companion app and and give you not only software information but even you know battery problems as well well i also think you know a lot of people need to have kind of a clear understanding of what are their own personal steps to take when they're having issues and i in my mind it's it's pretty simple steps with ios the first is if you're having a consistent problem with an app quit the app so you double tap on it and just slide it up to the top to quit the app yeah and that's the biggest troubleshooting issue I have. My my wife's phone, every time she's really having trouble with it, I double tap, I quit the Facebook app, and then it magically works again. You can delete uh, the Facebook app, and that will save a lot of problems. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's uh, – in fact, I, I do want her to try – I know they have – what's the other one called? Papers? I think that's they have another one. That's the one I one. use now, yeah. I want to get her on that one because I think that might be better for her. But anyway, uh, that's an aside. So it seems like step one is app level. Um, step two for me would be reset the device in terms of, I'm sorry, just reboot the device. So if you're still having issues and it seems to be across multiple apps, like a memory problem, you know, the types of stuff you see with memory problems is just shut the device down and turn it back on. I have that with my car. Occasionally the Bluetooth just stops working with my car and it doesn't matter if I try to repair it or do anything. But if I shut the phone down and turn it back on, everything works again. 
Yeah, and there's there's actually uh, another section that is very helpful, and that is um, in settings general and reset. So in that reset section, you have a number of options, and one of them is to kind of do a factory reset, which is erase all content and settings, but you'll also see a couple other ones. So reset all settings can also be helpful. So for example, I was having a problem with my own uh, my phone where the app store was using cellular data even though I had it toggled off not to. Um, and I kind I didn't want to go through the whole process of kind of wiping it and going from a backup. So I, I did a reset all settings and, and that actually fixed the issue for me, which was great. Um, and that and that's just one example. Resetting all settings will fix a lot of quirky things. Um, you know, uh, another weird one that I have on my iPad is where uh, when I get a missed call with continuity, you know, my iPad, sh- the FaceTime app shows the, the, you know, the one badge for the missed call. But once I open the app and close it, it still doesn't uh, get rid of that badge. And it, it's a minor thing. It annoys me. But resetting all settings, you know, resolve that. Um, and then if you're going further down the list, resetting network settings settings is um, a huge help. And that's for Wi-Fi and cellular. So resetting the network settings will, if you're having some weird issues where Wi-Fi is dropping in and out and you know that your other devices are working properly, resetting the network settings will work. Or if you don't think you have, you know, good cellular coverage when, you know, the person next to you has full bars, you know, resetting network settings is going to um, try to resolve that problem for you. And so, so going down the list there, we saw app, then we saw restart the phone, then go into the reset. And there's a couple different non-nuclear options in there. Exactly. And and then once you get past that and you're still having the issue, um, you can rebuild the phone. Um and after that, you bring it to the Apple Store. I mean, there's just not that many things to do here. Well, yeah. Say you say you've you've tried everything and you've run out of options. The last software thing you can do is just wipe your phone. And once you know, obviously, you want to be backed up. But once that happens, and if the problem persists, you know, it, it's pretty clear cut at that point that you might be not having a software issue, and it could be on the hardware side. Now, granted, you're going to go to an Apple employee, and they're going to probably do the same steps that you you done on your own. Um, but at least you know you're going there. Uh, you're you're going in knowing that this will most likely result in either um, a particular hardware replacement or a whole phone replacement. Yeah. And also, when you do that, you'll know that a lot of times you will actually fix the problem before you have to spend the time to go to the Apple Store. Exactly. It's interesting, you know, the Apple Store, they're doing more repairs now than they used to. Um, my uh, my legacy phone that I gave to my daughter was having an issue with the lens in the uh, camera where it was getting artifacts. And we had the exact same issue with my iPhone 4S, I believe, when we handed it off to her, her or my 5. But with the 5S, we had the problem and they, they swapped out the camera in the store. I mean, they're they're doing more in the store, it seems to me, like to the phones. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the 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 newer the phone, the more modular it's becoming. I, I'm not even. I'm not sure if I could say exactly what they can replace, but you know, when they're coming out with a newer phone, they're always trying to think. You know, what? Wh- how can we get the customer? Um, you know, up and running with a new phone without having to put them through the whole conversation about, you know, erasing your phone and bringing your stuff back on. Because people get very nervous, even if there is an iCloud backup or a local backup, they get very nervous about their data. So if, if, 
we, you know, if Apple could take in the phone and, you know, swap out the camera or the battery, um, you know, the vibration motor, that is huge for them because it's, you know, it saves the customer um, all that hassle. And an added benefit of that is when the phone is out of warranty in a few years, uh, swapping the camera out is not going to be as hard in this phone because I've seen them do it in 30 minutes. So I'm going to know that iFixit's going to have some kind of plan and there'll be a way to replace that camera if I want. And it's cheaper for you out of warranty because then you don't have to pay for the whole unit. Um, so listen, we actually have a hard out today and we've gone for an hour and a half and I've got to, I've got to get to a place. Uh, but I wanted to thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing this with us. I recommend everybody go over to 512 pixels, the excellent website, you know, by our friend Stephen Hackett and read this article. I also recommend everybody go and look at Joe's own podcast and his websites. Uh, you want to share that with us real quick, Joe? Yeah, sure. The podcast is Diagnostics and Usage, and that's just diagnosticsandusage.com. Um, the website that I write at is joecayati.info, and my Twitter account is at joecayati, um, C-A-I-A-T-I. And Joe, we may have to have you back if you're willing, because it feels like we've really just scratched the surface. I feel like we could go another hour and a half talking about, you know, more software troubleshooting and preventative maintenance and more on iOS. And we haven't even talked about any of the peripherals yet. So maybe if you're willing, let's do this again sometime. Absolutely. I feel the same way. I have a long list next to me on my iPad that we we didn't even get to. So I'd love to be back on. Absolutely. Well, you can find links to everything that we talked about in the show notes for this episode at MacPowerUsers.com or at 5x5.tv slash MPU. Uh, You can also find information there on how to contact us. Uh, And you can follow David and I on Twitter. The show is at MacPowerUsers. I'm at Katie Floyd and David is at Max Sparky. Uh, Thanks to our sponsors for this episode. That's Pixelmator, Automatic, Omni, and Squarespace. And we will see you all next time.